Welcome to Club Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. And get your head knocking. What's up? Yo. It's your favorite okay. neighborhood thugs. You've been stuck in the uh the car oh, shit thugging in your neighborhood again. <laughs> I feel like Ant-Man, I was trapped in the thing in the car. I forget Avengers, dude. I literally only saw that one movie. It was such a bad movie. Um <laughs> yo, but what's up everybody? How's everybody doing tonight? Good, good. Much yeah. better now. Yeah, around. Um, Good. There's yeah. video. This is bizarre. Hi, everybody. Hey. Oh, yeah. This is not a broadcast, but it's here. Um, but yo, everybody. I'm glad everyone's here. We are. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> what just happened? Oh, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Did, we get, did we get crypto mode? Oh, crypto locker? I think we're good. Okay, cool. I'm just going to throw this down. Yeah, so we had a, <laughs> lot, of, a lot of stuff recently. Um, we just set up a new stream box because our old one got deleted because we didn't pay the bill. And now it looks even better. Um, but we're still playing around with it. So thanks, everybody, for, for coming out and hanging out. Dude, this is awesome. I'm so glad to be back. We've, we've been... It's been a while. We've been kind of aching for it, kind of dreading it at the same time. But I think it's because we know that we are do some cool shit this time around um but yeah thanks everybody for hanging out here um this show is sponsored by dollar vpn club in case anybody was 100 <laughs> sponsored it entirely by dollar vpn club thanks um and yeah does anybody do anything cool in the like two months that we were away maybe we should have thought would be uh but some some interesting things that sort of happened with thug crowd like uh what we got done. Hello? Wow, cool. Well, so, we're uh, here. We're back. Yeah, Sorry, we're still- the audio got kind of messed up here. Sorry about that, guys. Audio just cut out. Yeah, we're still getting uh-huh. new, new stream set up here. Uh, but luckily, I got uh, I blame Krebs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're all set to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, anybody didn't hear or me, but we um, yeah, got our own infrastructure now, and so we are doing um, everything on Matrix as a challenge. Anybody is interested in it, um, you can probably do it and join us in chat. Um, and yeah, I guess we've just been working on a bunch of different stuff. We got different CTFs 
going on, working on for the summertime. We got a press pass for DEFCON, which... Uh, yeah, we're gonna be there uh, hanging out with some press. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, one of the most interesting things that happened though, that there was I'm sure a lot of people already saw this on on Twitter, but um, there, there was a big thing with with Krebs and and Dan, and we found out that Dan wasn't actually a dog; he was a whole different beast. So, <laughs> yeah, had <laughs> yeah. some really big revelations there. Um, it, we, as much as I tried the not just didn't fool Krebs one bit. It took him him six hours, but he eventually figured it out. Next time you should really get one of those Groucho Marx, like, uh, (laughs) from the party store. And I think that would be... (laughs) I love it. They will see you at DEF CON with um, the party masks. Stephen Mustache. uh, Yo, Krebs, if you're listening, uh, what the fuck, man? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) let's not get into that. But, um, yo, uh, I guess anybody else have any other interesting things that they did before we get into news? Because we've got a lot of news here. Been sweating away, uh, like toiling away at the OSCP labs. Oh. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How's that going for you? How's that going? It's fun. Uh, it definitely showed me some things that I need to work on. So it's, uh, it's good to, you know, uh, teach me. Teach me what I need to know. Did you... Did you take the exam as well as the labs or just? No, I'm currently in the labs right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. I I found the labs to be really fun. And then the uh, actual exam was like, whoa, this is totally different. Kind of harder. But uh, yeah, have fun with it, man. It'll be good. Thank you. Oh, and also um, another thing I didn't really mention um, thank everybody for running all of our uh, curl one-liners. <laughs> we kind of made a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a bigger splash than we thought they would. Um, but yeah, shout out to everybody who ran those and also decoded them before running them and helped us educate people on not just running stuff in Bash. Um, that was yeah, actually super fun. Just thinking, like you know, like one of the one of the techniques, I think the first one that's in the, the thug crowd returning video that uh, Dakota did, which is awesome, by the way, yeah. uh, was like using dash D before the host name, before the, you know, a fake, a fake host name that, you know, when people sort of scan with their eyes, they see like curl host name, whatever, and using like um, the header flag or the data flag straight away. People were just like, this is fine. Like that looks yeah. like the correct domain to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Actually, it was README that had figured out a couple of different ones. I ended up just buying uh, getdocker.shell, which is like the Docker documentation's like shell script that they use in like all the different, like pretty much every one-liner I've seen to install Docker includes getdocker.shell in some yeah. form. Um, even the official Git repo for installing it. And so we just bought get-docker.shell and then just turned it into a thing. So yeah. I mean, it's such a bad idea, right? Why are you going <laughs> to... .sh. Like, it's been a thing since before the internet. It's one It's one typo away. Like, a, z- a zero versus a fucking O. Oh, that one. We can take this. Before I got glasses, I would have never known. I would have been like... Uh, yeah, I guess so. Just, I mean, it's the same as a CLSSP. So. I mean, we can take it all the way back, though. Like, you look at, uh, you look at .com, like, you know. Yeah, all, the .com files as well. Was mm. .com. God. Yeah. Yeah, how long till the uh, EXE uh, TLD? 
I love well, .so, uh, but they're so expensive. I wanted to get like libc.so, but you, yeah. I mean, the, the truth is we just need to get involved in the, the DNS pyramid scheme, um, yeah. which is... Yeah, everybody. Cool. Point your DNS at 1.3.3.7 because we're to fuck our DNS. We'll <laughs> 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 have a DNS server this summer, so we'll hang out. Um, Sponsored <laughs> by Dollar VPN Club. Dollar VPN Club is like funneling, as far as I understand, like hundreds of thousands of dollars to us, which is amazing. I mean, it's so generous. It's like hundreds of thousands of people using it. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, yes. Fund all of our favorite TLDs and uh, just go straight to ICANN and tell them, yo, this is us. We have a .tld. We're going to be rolling out, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's okay. funny when you guys were testing it though like you, you you had thrown a few ios back and forth and like i saw it at first and i was like oh my god wait what the hell's going on here did uh did did somebody actually mess with get docker like and I, I i pasted the url like i was on my phone at the time so i didn't i didn't do the whole curl command but i pasted the url and it just it looked so realistic that absolutely fooled me um <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of what got me interested in it too so i figured let's take it a step further let's let's try some hacks hell yeah so yeah um POCU GTFO is the uh story and also look at uh i guess read the man pages that's just honestly the, the best way to do stuff rtmfp um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or wait rtmf <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, let's get into the uh, let's get into the news here. So, we got a lot of news. We got um, some cool ways to update it as well, which is sick. So, yeah, the first one that we have on here, I cannot wait to talk about. This is is um, American towns are under cyber attack from an NSA built software. And so, this was a big story. It's been an evolving story, I guess. And that now that people are trying to give attribution to the NSA directly for getting ransomware by somebody using anything related to Eternal Blue. And so this is actually yeah. a PBS NewsHour story here, but there's the New York Times um, article, which was on our last show notes. Um, there's been a ton of hand-waving about this that I think is, honestly, I think it's 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 kind of uh, <laughs> disappointing because you, just, you know this has been out for over two years now. Um, and it's not just a, an NSA cyber weapon. It's just an, a vulnerability that was happened to be disclosed after the um, NSA cyber weapons themselves were stolen. But it's not the NSA that controls MS-17-010. Uh, um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just been kind of an, uh, interesting to see how it plays out because people have been basically just searching for attribution the way that most people do when they get hacked. Um, but it's it, a very dangerous finger to point, I guess, when you just start blaming the NSA directly for you getting ransomware after not patching after two months. Yeah, when a nation state, nation states itself. <laughs> right? It was literally funded by our taxpayer dollars. Like, At the same um, time, though, if you think about um, other scenarios where uh, malware has been written by other countries and then used against, say, the US or Australia or whatever, like, the country you're in, you're like, but is it them or is it just, you know, the people that are supposed to be like who who's using the tool might like if just because it's a Chinese tool or something doesn't mean China's attacking you like if you're getting DDoS from like government Chinese servers do you think 
the Chinese government is DDoSing you? Like, probably not. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, but that's yeah. that's one of the hardest parts about all this stuff. But like for enterprise, anything when you're doing DFIR, all that, so many people just immediately want they want someone to blame, you know, instead of themselves for whatever reasons, organizational reasons, or you know, taking a step back and looking at what might be changeable yeah. in the way that they do stuff. But now it's easier to say, oh, the NSA hacked us, so we can't do anything about it. The fact that they clicked on yes, absolutely allow macros twelve times. <laughs> that, that has nothing to do with any of this. It was the NSA. Yeah, uh, I think we have another I, story related to that coming up. Do you have the there's a Mac a Mac OS one, the synthetic? Um, oh yeah, that, no no no. I actually didn't finish putting that in the news. We can throw that in there. Um, I mean, just as a side note, it's fine. But I mean, like you know, you don't even need to click enable macros because you can do some other malicious stuff that'll do it 12 times and you only need to make like you know four malicious actions and it'll do 12 for you didn't uh, didn't the nsa come out publicly and actually denounce this and be like no we it actually had nothing to do with eternal blue or any of that you guys uh i think idiots. that's i think the new like baltimore ransomware uh article yeah. Was saying that it actually was uh, wasn't Eternal Blue uh, they used against like the city of Baltimore, yeah, which is which is interesting because like so used to seeing that that uh, yeah, be interesting wonder... how it how it uh, shakes out. There's also <laughs> you, you gotta wonder how they knew though, <laughs> like right, like they're like nope, wasn't us, we. Uh, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. Did we just I guess compartmentalization as well, just you know, not every op knows about every other op or like their PR people don't know about ops, you know? Yeah. Not sure. But it's uh definitely interesting though to see people coming out and saying, Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter of people, you know, who aren't really technically savvy or not in the same circles as us. Um, you know, very, very like uh confidently speaking with the NSA hack. Hacking people. And I, stuff like I think that. they well, are, but not not the business. I think um, during the time of the Equifax hack, when everybody blamed the first, like there was a lot of confusion because the the two struts bugs that were like both basically RCE um, off the bat, and one had been disclosed like within a few days of um, the Equifax, like the major Equifax breach. And so, I mean, at the same time, like you look at the other things that are going around right now that could easily be related. And with, you know, the RDP bug, um, people have got pox and that floating around everywhere. Like surely that's weaponized in the hands of, of nation states and, and also black hats alike. Right. So maybe it's not eternal blue. They're like, Oh, it's eternal. It's gotta be eternal blue. It's the only thing that we know could hack us. And then like uh-huh. this bug that some 12 year old has. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely it's it's, it's tough to, to do the attribution, it's tough to do the DFR, and especially when a place that if you already are getting ransomware by a clear old bug, you know, you might not have the exact resources that you need to actually respond to it that most people would like you to. So yeah, it's just like a I guess a testament to like one small organization, especially governmental organizations, local governmental organizations, they're probably the least equipped for this kind of stuff. Um, and people should be looking up them if you do know people in those kind of organizations. Um, so, yo, 
I'll uh, take a look at your stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> be, be a little consultant, be a hero for the day, volunteer. Because it literally takes like one second and be like, yo, just update all this stuff. <laughs> like, you guys haven't patched anything. Like, like um, let me inspect the PCAP. Oh, okay. There's no evidence of the protocol. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can go on to the next uh, topic here, which is Russia says that Tinder must share user data and private messages. That was a union who said that uh, if a government is already asking you for your logs or your data, they already have it. <laughs> yeah. I think that was you, Yanzi. Uh, because, um, yeah, so basically Russia is asking for Tinder to do an agreement that would basically legally force them to give them all the data and private communication um, to their intelligence agencies and law enforcement. Um, and there's basically, they're trying to strong arm them with, you know, fines and banning them in the country. And yeah, it's, but, uh, but Telegram is fine guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, like that fails obviously. And that's from within their own country. So that's pretty funny. And now they're yeah. like, give us Tinder. Like what are they, what are they going to get? from Tinder that's more important than an encrypted yeah. message like Signal or Telegram. I, I wonder if people were using Tinder at any point to actually do secure comms somewhere or like uh, comms that weren't being looked at directly. Say, oh, it's just Tinder. It's just, you know, people asking for <laughs> pics or whatever. Extra trading for swipes, like <laughs> swipe <Yeah>. left. Like, <laughs> Could be some very specific thumb patterns. One, that, bit, one bit one way, one bit the other way. Like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, uh, it's called <laughs> dissenting voices just over swipes yeah i mean i i it's an interesting one because i mean they were people have been different countries have, have uh, tried to curb especially um like gay stuff like that but specifically tinder is an interesting one to, to choose because i don't really know the reasoning behind it besides they would just want i mean grinder um grinder obviously does a lot of or has has done a lot of work actively to, to protect their users in, in countries like Egypt and whatnot. I guess I think when Whitey Cracker was on, he was talking about it quite a bit um, with his experience of working with them. Um, yeah. And like just, just basically protecting people. And I mean, Tinder is, is in a lot of ways, very similar um, concept. It's just, you know, that different demographic. So yeah, it's definitely, what about this? What is it about this demographic, I guess, that they're more interested in? Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like they just want like blackmail.zip. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah. That's the only other reason I could really see besides if there really was some cool covert channel that people are using. Yeah. Um, anybody who makes the first C2 um, on Tinder uh, <laughs> gets a Dollar VPN Club t shirt. So, uh, well, the thing is, like, Russia also historically, like, uh, like political dissidents and uh, any, anyone who disagrees uh, finds themselves in some sort of legal trouble or uh, that kind of thing. So it's like not uh, too far of a stretch that, you know, there might be someone that uh, they don't like specifically yeah, using yeah. Tinder. They want compromise or whatever, right? Like they want, yeah. they want leverage. It's interesting. Like, there's a small paragraph in the article that says uh, uh, the nonprofit said that companies have no legal obligation to comply with the government requests, but if they don't, they risk being fined or banned inside Russia's territory. It's a pretty weird thing to add. Very weird. It looks like it looks like Telegram actually was. Uh, 
approached by them too at uh, DNZ. I think you might have said that. But they um, they just didn't comply, and then of course they were banned like a year later. <laughs> it's still like, so they they uh, because of the domain fronting techniques they were using. I think they had a lot of problems uh, actually successfully blocking it. I'm yeah, sure, sure. It sure. Works. Like if if somebody in Russia could tell us right now if uh, Telegram does in fact work for them, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Didn't all the domain fronting stuff, uh, hasn't all that pretty much gone away now at this point? Um, I believe it still works. I don't, don't see why it would not work. Because mm. a lot of the, like, I mean, you think about what is being delivered from those CDNs and we're talking about like critical updates from, um, you know, like your Windows updates and that kind of thing. But at the same time, Russia also did their uh, Runet testing. Um, where they pulled the plug and apparently they're totally self-sufficient now. So uh, I guess yeah. you'd, have to, you'd have to have been involved with those tests to know yeah. the extent so. of that uh, success. If anybody does know, uh, definitely please reach out to us. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Oh, we, got, we got some Russian buddies listening. Definitely do, but maybe they don't want to talk directly. <laughs> well, uh, don't do it in public chat. If you don't want to hit us up directly, just hit us up on Tinder. <laughs> Go to an Arby's and message us from there. Yo, so the next one here is actually interesting too. And being I wanted to take on it because you were kind of dispelling some some uh, myths and rumors about U.S. Um, visa applications now requiring a submission of social media accounts. Um, yeah, so this one is actually sort of... Um, it's been in, it's been in talk for some time, and actually the so there's a list of 38 countries I believe um, that this specifically doesn't apply to, which is um, a program called uh, ESTA, ESTA, um, and and basically what what ESTA allows for you to do is to get a visa waiver, so you don't actually get the the immig- the non-immigration visa that you would normally have um, to visit the US. Uh, both of these two things, so the ESTA and the DS-160s, uh, the, the visa you get from the DS-160, um, basically give you similar uh, access to the United States. And the ESTA form, for as long as I can remember, has had, uh, your, like, you have to renew it every two years and it allows you 90 days of travel um, within the US. And it's asked for your social media for a very long time, but it's always been optional. Uh, the difference with the DS-160 is now that, that that it's no longer optional. You must give up, you know, like you're required to do it. Uh, with how well that's checked or, um, you know, if you, you know, how well your online footprint is, is kept hidden, I guess it's going to depend on whether or not you are found and prosecuted or maybe like likely just denied entry to the States um, unless something pretty serious is found. But yeah, it's, um, if you are, from one of the 38 countries on the list, which is like pretty extensive. And it, I would say it covers um, a lot of, a lot of travelers that would be headed towards DEF CON this year. And you're worried about it. Um, the Esther is probably what you'll use and this won't affect you at all. Um, you just don't fill out the box and you move on with your life. Um, what will be scary is that this is obviously a step towards further tracking it. And if it does start applying uh, to like, further types of visas, then, you know, 
Um, and also if you are immigrating, like if you're immigrating to the States, um, because of work or for whatever, then again, you are likely to have to give up all this information anyway. So a lot of different cases, but just, just visiting for DEF CON, you're not going there to work or anything like you, you won't have any problems. Can we talk about the most fun part, which is, uh, giving them a Tumblr URL and having malicious JavaScript embedded on your Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I wonder what they're doing to actually like check all that. Then is it like an actual person who's going to read it and Man, be like, yeah. "Hey, this guy doesn't like our Cheeto Puff or what?" Well, Man, this guy. Um, likes, uh, this guy likes uh, Al Jazeera or something. Watch out! He, you know, he he might get his news sources not from Fox. Um. Yeah, it, it'll be pretty interesting to see like people who like have a lot of social media accounts because there are people out there, you know, who have like five Instagrams and stuff like that because whatever reason, and they just have to sit there filling out like add another social media Instagram. This one, this is where I like have photos of my cats. This is where I have like pictures of what I ate <laughs> today. You know what I mean? Like, and then yeah. somebody has to sit there and click through all their cats just to see see if anything looks looks suspect. Um, and I guess if you are worried about it, as we've talked about on the show before, make a bunch of, uh, fake profiles and do a bunch of PII poisoning. And then you have legitimate accounts to put on your form, which yeah. I hope is not a crime. And if it is, <laughs> then I don't endorse that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can hear our uh, conversation with Dash about, uh, about that. Um, and I forget what episode, but. Check out the Thugcrit archives, and we'll know. Or in some cases, their 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 tumblers might be one of those that, like, as of like December, they have they're behind like a safe mode thing. So, oh great, TSA is going to have to sign up for Tumblr to be able to view people's. Are there any like protections for what would like? I guess what I'm trying to say is like, let's say someone's gay and is visible on their profile and the guy or TSA agent or whoever it is that reviews it doesn't like gay people. Would that like disqualify them? Like, is there some kind of like protection against that? I think, um, what I'm thinking it's probably is, is they're probably working with some like a vendor, right. That has some machine learning algorithm for, uh, what's dangerous and what's not. I, I mean, I do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I don't know that. I don't know that for sure. By the way, yeah. So I saw someone mention it, but yeah, it's like probably it's one of those things that will flag and for manual review or something. Do you, so, uh, did anyone see that thread? Is obviously going to be um, subject to bias, and if you, I mean, think about like if you don't like someone's memes they're posting, you know, like literally that could be disqualified if you get into the country. <laughs> there was um. There was a thread that I posted in uh, one of our channels, I guess the general chat um, on Twitter, maybe like sometime this week. And basically it was um, the timeline of a US veteran um, who the, the person, basically they, they'd become like, uh, I can't remember if it was like far, far left or far right, like alt right or um, alt left sort of uh, radicalized over a period of time. Um, and basically what they did was they, they looked at the history of their Facebook, um, likes because they're obviously displayed in the order that you like them. And you can see he went from like, like liking like Fox news and then, 
you know, so on and so forth until he got all the way down to like his radicalized ideas. And then the next thing you know, he's like threatening people on social media. Um, so he went from like a real kind of centrist guy, like, and it like follows his journey. But I guess there's a lot of um, ways you could, you could implement uh, automation around that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I can't imagine there's like NDA or, or uh, like processes around it that prevent you from sharing your experience. So I'd be really interested to hear uh, from people that have been through it, just like actually how invasive it was and whatnot to be totally interesting to hear about. Yeah, for sure. I would probably just be looking for people that are like one degree away from the people that I want, you know, just, it's just easier to have a list of people you're looking for, you know, that's basically how the, uh, the financial sanctions lists and those kind of things work as well, where it's like, you know, um, I don't know, during the Crimea thing, uh, I, I remember it was like the, the ex-prime minister or whatever his, or the ex, ex-president or whatever the, their leader was, sorry, my ignorance. Um, but like his, his like brother-in-law or something was on the financial sanctions list from a, a bunch of countries. Like, yeah, this guy can't transfer money at this time because he's one degree away from somebody who's in the middle of a conflict. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's literally a list and you can subscribe to them if you have valid reasons to and, you'll see what kind of people aren't allowed to transfer money. And I guess those people are persons of interest that are for various reasons that I guess would also be persons of interest to do with travel. Guess there's a common theme name wise, but uh, that could just be a generalization on my part. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, it's scary stuff. The facial recognition. I don't know if that was, I, I didn't look, too far Sorry, I didn't our list. <laughs> What's that? Yo, I didn't know that was muted. Yo, the next one, um, we should get on to the next topic real quick because we're it's 10 o'clock already. Um, yo, this this one here is pretty wild though. Um, Google is going to restrict modern ad blocking Chrome extensions to just enterprise users. This one I was reading a little bit into or a little bit more into. Yeah, I mean the real solution for this is just to use Firefox. But yeah. this is pretty wild though that there's the literally I, first off, I didn't know that there was Chrome enterprise users. And also that it just sucks that they're just literally gonna just block the ability to use any sort of modern like request blocking, blacklisting, things like that to people who are enterprise. It's just it's a weird thing because it's like if you can make your own add-ons for Chrome, how are you going to restrict that? I mean like, even I read Chrome add-on a long time ago, um, and yeah. it was called like it's. I think it's on my GitHub. Maybe it was called "This Is Shit," and it was it was basically a downvote system with like a little poop emoji in your bar, and you just keep mashing the button, and the more times you mash it, the number, like the little uh, you know, number rises, and then it sends it back to the server. And however many other people also think this website is shit, it would come up. Uh, there as well. And it, it was well, like the result of it was we found that intercepting people's requests was ridiculously easy. Um, yeah. And we were leaking data by accident and we took the, we took it off like the Chrome extension down after a couple of hours. Cause we were like, Whoa, we accidentally did a bad thing. Um, I hope nobody installed this. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other part, people are talking about like pie hole in the chat, which is like really good. Um, however, there's a lot of services that have been getting around pie hole by just serving everything through the same subdomain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's becoming more and more common now uh, for those kind of things to happen. And there's just recently, just in the past like couple of months, there's been a, a very large wave of like um, anti ad block, um, you know, techniques and things coming out from uh, these large providers, Twitch and YouTube and, you know, all this video content. Uh, and it should be noted that, of course, Google's a, a fucking ad company. So, like, <laughs> could have seen this coming a mile away. But another, th another thing with the pie hole thing as well is um, it's a problem that's been tackled separately when we look at, um, you know, uh, proxying through when, like corporate firewalls and stuff like that. So when you're forced through a transparent proxy um, or you're, you're forced to install a CA or something and it blocks a bunch of stuff you need, like, the pie hole is going to run into those problems at some point, like if it, if not already, um, because it's if it's not solved with you know millions of dollars of R and D, it's not going to be solved by open source either, um, just yet. Maybe eventually, but it's it's a complex problem, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's not only a complex problem, but it's a problem that um, companies are incentivized to solve on their end, right? Uh, I mean, anytime you have uh, problems that companies want to solve, like for X amount of money, that cost them X amount of money, like they are uh, heavily incentivized to do so uh, versus, you know, just because you don't like ads on the other end. <laughs> so what was it that Microsoft did back in the day that got the government to intervene with their Internet Explorer, quote unquote, monopoly? And like, why isn't Google getting that kind of attention? Uh, that was to do with shipping it with Windows. Yeah, that was uh, that was a bit different. Yeah, but yeah, but you you make the choice to set your browser. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't because they're not aware. But um, yeah, like I guess on iOS, people just use Safari, or on macOS, they use Safari because it's there, and on Windows, people use Edge, and on Android, people use some form of WebKit. <laughs> <laughs> Some disgusting thing that comes with uh, with Android that's not really a real browser. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, I've, the most interesting part of this to me, though, is that is this a it's a Chromium actually uh, like thing, right? Feature, quote unquote. So, or is it just Chrome itself? I don't think it's Chromium. Chromium is open. It can it can be compiled without Google's features, but yeah. So, if, you know, you could have um, an optional compile flag to allow that, uh, you know, within the manifest v3, I suppose, whether the developers choose to do that or not. Um, I mean, that's up to them. And I think a lot of those neckbeard developers are going to be having these discussions in a lot more depth as well. Yeah, this is yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting issue to to work around. Um, there was talk earlier, like, is there still is this still covering um, uh, Google wanting to implement their own ad blocking system within Chrome? Is that still a thing? I don't know. It's interesting. I haven't heard much about that. 
Hmm. Hold on. I'm like, <laughs> I was trying to, to figure out a way to get around this stupid paywall on Wall Street Journal. If anybody knows how, let me know. I did it before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that article either. Let's Haven Sevens. I literally, I, I viewed it through a refer that made me let me do it and I forget exactly how I did to include it in the notes. I think there's, there's a few of refers do it. Yeah, there was a couple of them to do it, but yeah, that guy's terrible uh, part is I have a paid account. I just don't have the thing to log into it right now. Oh, uh, maybe try uh, bugmenot.com. That's a throwback to a <laughs> decade ago. <laughs> Groupons, like, let's go. Yeah, no, we were trying to figure out every way, every refer link that we can use to get around paywalls like this. Um, if anybody has any, add them to our collection. Um, Do you have a collection? Yeah. All right. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so I, let's, uh, wait, what? Uh, no, let's go. Let's do it. Oh, let's get to the next thing here. This is the vague bit of this article was that Amazon is trying to get apartments, like new apartment buildings, to integrate Alexa. And there's already people been have been talking about Alexa um, devices being integrated into their hotels, but this the being able to sell, I guess, the Alexa as like a sort of like a an enterprise solution, I would say, for an apartment building for you know things like um, managing um, like tenant doorbells and things like that. Like those those are going to be or are currently being marketed as solutions for um, like apartment buildings, and it's creepy as fuck because obviously Alexa is not. Um, the most secure and well-loved technology. I guess by movie trailers, most people that are more security and privacy-oriented know that Lux is always listening, and it's just <laughs> an ambient about everything you do. And if it's forced upon you by where you live, that's pretty fucked. If you're uh, if you do have an Alexa though, and you are interested, um, there is a link that you can check. It's like uh, just like slash privacy or something. Uh, it's like something really simple. You you'll be able to Google it in seconds. But it'll actually allow you to download uh, snippets or like clips that Alexa has has heard, and um, like people have gone through it and just found like whole conversations they've had. They've had like people over. They're just talking about random stuff or whatever. Wait, just, what? <laughs> Does they made it open for your own for, account? Yeah. For I'm sorry, what? So for your own account, you can log into your account oh, and go to the privacy section, and you can listen to what they've got. A uh, super creepy. There was a. Yeah. I was trying to reimage a uh, an Amazon Fire or something like that the other day, and uh, I, I thought I was just hearing things at first, um, but I thought I heard my own voice being echoed back to me, and uh, no, it kept happening. <laughs> like <laughs> snippets of my voice were being recorded and then played back to me. And this wasn't even an Alexa. This was a. This was one of those Kindle Fire things. Pretty insane. I wonder if you're ever going to be able to get Alexa as an AWS service. Uh, of course. There's. I think that there's integrations for that already. You can build apps with Alexa on AWS. It's called um, Le- uh, Alexia. There was actually a uh, a Kickstarter project. I don't know how far it went, but if you think of. Um, uh, get smart the cone of silence where basically it's a, a 3d printed coney thing that goes over the top of your um your thing and 
you give it, you program that to have a different keyword. Um, and then, yeah, it, it echoes, like it has a microphone inside that will then trigger the Alexa. So it's like, a, it's a layer above your like home hub thingy. An Alexa condom. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know how well that works either because I mean, like you could accidentally trigger its keyword and now it's recording and playing it through for you. There was some stuff uh, around ultrasound and like uh, totally maxing out the microphone's capabilities. Um, I think MG was looking into that a little bit, but um, uh, coil all the way to the end, like all the time. Uh, yeah, it's like it, it, it's a it's not in within range of human or I believe even animal hearing, but it it'll like it'll clip the microphone um, because the microphone's able to hear it. And uh, it it seems like an effective countermeasure. Personally, I've had issues with tinnitus and stuff over the past year. So like a little apprehensive about blasting frequencies at my ears. But uh, it'll keep the mosquitoes away and make cockroaches. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It'll boil water uh, at certain... (laughs) At certain proximities, yeah. Also, organ energy. So, uh, <laughs> I quit. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I, I circling back to the main thing though, that being it being sold is the same thing that Amazon does with everything else, which is we have integrated with everything. Therefore, it's for you. And I don't know. I just feel like building managers, it, it seems like an interesting choice, cheap choice for them. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. It's something that's eventually going to get rolled out all over the place because it's cheap and it's easy and everybody knows it and it's familiar with the tech. But it, all it does monopolize your literal private space. But you know, so somebody that's you- kind of become a, a, a speaker that's pretty. Uh, pretty renowned for this uh, just kind of out of the blue was uh, Leslie Carhartt uh, hacks for pancakes on Twitter um, against the Bluetooth, um, the locks. Yeah. I have a feeling this is kind of right up rally. Um, so yeah, that might be sure. interesting to talk to her about it some later time. It's yeah. very like, it's like no, like how 9,000 is, is a very well-known, uh, you know, AI amongst, nerds in general and even non-nerds you know so when you're talking to Hal <laughs> that's that's where it's, that's where it's heading um but I think with with smart devices in the home like I would like if, if I was like looking to move into a, a new house or a new apartment I would want you know um the smart light type deal um and maybe you know climate control and things like that but done in the right way and I mean, the people who build houses generally, you know, and, and architects and things like that, they don't all, always know like the security side of things. But uh, some of the cool alternatives are like, you know, the motion sensors that will trigger like LEDs to turn on when you sort of when you enter um, enter the room and stuff like that. So there are smart alternatives that could also maybe give you the same experience without having to uh, go down the full, you know path of having the microphone listen to you yeah 
Out of all like, the uh, Alexa integrations, the one I want the least is my landlord. <laughs> like, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, well, like the landlord having the password to log in to the Amazon account it's tied to, and then downloading mm-hmm. the snippets, being like, oh, what am I? What am yeah, I? It's absolutely. Yeah. It's that's the other thing too is that it, it gives people, which everybody who's lived in a weird, scummy area has had to deal with people who are maybe less than scrupulous landlords. And being able to have access to like audio recordings and makes people a lot creepier <laughs> very quickly. Um, but yo, uh, the next story here is amazing. And uh, it's just something that having dealt with this today um, on a smaller scale, I can really relate with the DOD right now. So let me tell you a story. Um, today I got a hermit, got me a matte screen protector for my, my computer. And I was so excited because my screen sucks and I just wanted to get a screen protector for my laptop and I put it on and I was like, Oh, it's going to be matte. It's going to be, you know, it'll look fine. Um, finally able to like actually look at my screen I put it on and it's just as reflective as the screen that was underneath it. And it just uh-huh. off and I'm like, Oh, cool. It just doesn't work. And then the story here with the DOD they bought a bunch of phony military gear, uh, including uh, anti-night vision reflective clothing, but it just didn't work. And it was from China, um, probably in the same way. I just feel like I'm like, they just get they got, like, literally like Alibaba right now. Like, it's insane. Um, so, yeah, I guess a bunch of um, like tactical gear that was manufactured and sold from China um, that had all sorts of, you know, anti-surveillance uh, you know, technology built into it just didn't work. And they spent a bunch of money on it, and it just, yeah. And you know, the IR stuff, like the sorry, the night vision stuff, um, is that we were we were talking about thug uh, crowd merch, um, and looking into different countermeasures for like surveillance and stuff. And some of the things that we were seeing, obviously not like military level spec, just sort of like consumer uh, level spec, it. it it didn't look very uh, like difficult. Like not not like it looked difficult, obviously, but to, to an extent, it wasn't super complex. So I feel like that this stuff isn't even trying. Like maybe this will defeat those like IR like power over Ethernet cameras you'll see on the side of someone's house or whatever. Yeah, the, the cheap five dollar like who broke it was it uh, Pike this week broke those like really five dollar cameras. Oh yeah, the little camera Pike. You're there. Are, are you there, Mike? Yeah. Uh, I've actually had experience with this material. I mean, all it really is is just pretty much something that kind of acts as, you know, kind of like how it's not a mirror where it doesn't reflect light energy that much. And really all it does is just pretty much actually subdue IR light that actually bounces off your clothing and it kind of actually makes it so it doesn't reflect back to the night vision. Because night vision tech, all it really is is kind of like a preamplifier put with light. And mm-hmm. what it does um, to actually use it, you can actually use like IR lights that aren't really visible with the naked eye. But what it'll do is it'll actually make the infrared, or excuse me, the night vision actually uh, have light bounce back to it. So you can be able to see so. So you can actually have flashlights. And this material, all it does is just keep it from reflecting back. But honestly, just using it, even with the subdued stuff, doesn't really that doesn't work. It's a little bit of freaking snake oil, honestly. And for the most part, this sounds like pretty much one of the vendors that actually supplies clothing for the United States military and stuff like that. Probably actually got some material from China just to save on money, and they actually just used it for their stuff, and that's how it got in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely, I can see where this would happen. 
it's just interesting to see that the even government contractors and people who are supplying to the DOD are still not uh, immune to getting a rick roll by by Chinese merchants on uh, on catfished. I'm not saying the Chinese merchants are bad, but there are definitely a lot of sites that just do not sell what they're saying, and you're just like, oh, you know, I'll just try it. I guess it's a dollar, but it's just you know has like lead in it or. A little nicer than I am. I actually just think the vendor knew exactly what the hell they were buying, but they were just trying to well, sell. That's the other thing too, is that when you are outsourcing stuff like that to countries that you might be in tensions with, uh, I feel like it's not necessarily the best to ask them for, hey, we're trying to hide from you when we invade eventually. Um, can you please tell us close to do so? But I sure. think considering it was a, a like a, a US-based company, a Brooklyn-based wholesaler that got the tender, you would assume mm-hmm. that in order to, I mean, I, I don't really know how it works in the States. It's sort of like when, when there's a government contract here and it goes up a tender and a bunch of companies are eligible, you have to be eligible. Like there's requirements for you to, you know, be in the running to, to get the contract. Um, I feel like because like they should have been smarter, like or been certified that, you know, these people know how to actually make this stuff that they're going to provide us rather than just be the, you know, because it's, it's generally the lowest bidder, right? Um, the lowest bidder uh, that has quality, like some sort of level of skill. So. The lowest bidder that knows someone uh, in charge of handing out contracts. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Usually how it goes. It's mostly middle of the road stuff. It's not always the lowest bidder, but no well, one yeah. does help a lot. Also, there's a thing where... Um, a lot of some government contracts you can't like it can't go to the same company for more than x amount of time so people just create shell companies to then be able to get the contract afterwards and that kind of stuff there's a whole bunch of terrible shit that goes into that that i've looked into but yeah rules are pretty much actually to equally distribute the work for the united states people because they're using tax dollars to pay for this so the incentive is to pretty much help u.s business to actually flourish Oh yeah, for sure. But shell companies naturally ruin it. Yeah, no, there's ways around this. <laughs> yeah, and uh, later when we get onto our, our uh, when it's chatting about stuff, I think we should uh, we should discuss a little bit of shell companies and stuff around uh, the Huawei, uh, Android, and ARM business. It'd be quite interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, no, let's yeah. leave that for after. Everybody who's listening to, once we're done with the news here, we are going to take a small break and then we'll come back with uh, just more chatting and banter about stuff that we didn't get to cover that we wanted to talk about. Um, so yeah, we'll be here hanging out. Um, but yeah, let's, um, let's try to get the rest of the news stories. So yeah, this one here, Nginx server bugs uh, that could lead to RCE. It's actually a really good write-up, a pretty cohesive write-up about this, um, just saying that we don't really know what the full details are. Um, but there is a some remote code execution bugs in Nginx, which is pretty dope. Um, I haven't really seen those kind of things in a while. I mean, RCE on like servers like this isn't as common anymore. Um, so definitely interesting to see what happens. This also uh, <laughs> this entire thing is what led to Dan's um, curl request that caused a lot of trouble. But what was interesting though is a lot of people said. <laughs> You know, you gave me, you, you you scared me, and I had to do something about it. And people who are legitimate, you know, CISOs, people who are in charge of security stuff, you know, we, we were seeing the logs. They were sharing in Slack. They were sharing in different, you know, secure comms and stuff and trying to hash it out and determine. But whether or not it was real, people definitely acted and, and patched, you know, and they updated, like, oh, crap, we haven't updated Nginx in, like, 
four years. We gotta like do something about this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They kind of light the fire on your ass when you say, "Oh, here we're on Twitter. Yo, you just read about this today. Maybe you're even finding out about the vulnerability itself." Um, you know, through this meme tweet. Um, yeah. But regardless, it, it definitely lit a fire on a lot of people's asses, and it definitely when this thing does come out, hopefully the uh, actual um, POC comes out uh, <laughs> after the uh, after the the, the patch is released. Yeah, yeah. It's surprising the amount of people that I got um, that, uh, you know, they I didn't I didn't get anybody that was like super angry or anything like that. They were more just like either cool, cool obfuscation, but a lot of them were like, thanks for raising awareness of uh, this potential Nginx issue. Um, a lot of them just had no idea about it. Um, and while I don't know, yeah, it looks like it was, uh, patched in the zero three, two release, but, okay. um, yeah, a, a lot of them just didn't know about it. Um, and so it, in my view, it kind of raised, um, awareness of two different things. It, it mm-hmm. definitely put some eyeballs on the Nginx, uh, issues that are upcoming. Um, you know, it also, you know, it's something that we've been doing as Thug Crowd for a little bit now, just kind of goofing around with is, uh, is, is playing around with different obfuscation techniques and just kind of playing around nothing malicious. And, uh, it definitely wasn't meant to go as widely as it did, but I, <laughs> there's no regrets on it. Like I, I didn't no, no regrets. No ragarets. Yeah. I mean, it, it simply like that. That's just the index HTML. And, you know, if you're going to copy and paste it with it piping to SH, that's something that you kind of consciously did. And I can't so, stop uh, you from doing that. <laughs> the same day that we were actually talking about this, um, I was setting up a VM for, uh, it was a throwaway VM just for, for testing something. And I wanted to install um, NVM, which is uh, a node version manager for you know, managing different versions of Node.js. And it's actually used in, in prod. And as far as I could see, the only way documented officially to install it is to pipe it to the shell. Uh-huh. Oh, really? So I, oh, that's funny. So yeah, so like I'm sitting there like laughing about like people piping stuff to a shell. I'm like, how do I not pipe this to a shell? So I look at the shell script and start reading it. And, you know, um, any one of those lines that I, that I scanned over because I, I didn't find tooth comb and I didn't do a proper audit, but could have contained something easily as obfuscated. Um, it's when yeah. we get into, you know, layers and stuff. It's like, how much do you trust where this is coming from? And meanwhile, I'm thinking in my head, like, this is a throwaway VM. I have something else to do. This is totally not my goal. And I just sat there, I just like just bit my tongue and clicked it um, and then pasted it directly into my terminal as root. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I felt bad because that's exactly what I'm telling people not to do. Yeah. I think Bruise installed pretty much the same way too, if I'm not mistaken. Like they definitely have a one-liner. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. I think I mean, in the case of if you are working on a project, um, like even if it's a small project, you know, that may become something big or you never intended to, to get anywhere, um, having some sort of 
the alternative way to install things is uh, you know, uh, probably something to take into account and maybe taking that little bit of extra step. So maybe using something like, um, uh, I don't know, Flatpak or I guess Flatpak is one way to do it. Or like, I guess Snap is another way. I I'm not a huge fan of Snap, but. Or, or literally anything else. Well, so <laughs> the problem becomes ways that you can sort of have these like management things that, um, you know, remove the 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 clickbait. No, sorry, not clickbaity. The the baiting um, aspect away from it, where you can you're using a package manager. Things can be pushed into repositories later, like not today, where you're busy like trying to figure out how to make the actual thing work. But, like having some idea in your head that like I'm not gonna start by telling people to pipe it to the shell. And then four years later, my, my project blows up and I'm still telling people to pipe it to the shell. Right. Also, yeah. the, the biggest thing here is that if you have, if you're a researcher and you have a vulnerability coming out with a, a fancy name and a logo, uh, hit us up and, uh, and we'll build some, some awareness, <laughs> uh, sell our services. We'll inject, uh, inject your folds into the mainstream. Just a big shout out to uh, Alyssa, though, the uh, ZDI researcher that actually found the real uh, talented stuff um, yeah. through Nginx. I, I think that's amazing um, work that, that everybody on ZDI group does. And uh, Alyssa is not an exception to that rule. So, And shout out to her for also being uh, really cool about, um, you know, not not <laughs> getting offended that I, I quote tweeted her thing and kind of used it as a uh, a little bit of a springboard um she she seemed to be pretty happy about the uh raising awareness thing so massive shout out to her i uh much love the last part of the article here says there has been a lot of talk on twitter about the real world implications of the bug with even a sedge admitting that the hype is disproportional which <laughs> yeah <laughs> great part to uh that <laughs> but i mean it got people talking it got people looking into it it got people thinking about their systems and saying holy shit what if somebody was able to get our ceo system right now and they've been waiting I think for there it. Are a lot of people though who have never moved from apache to nginx and i'm not really sure because like i moved some time ago now i had many years and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sort of like out of the loop of like are we seeing these type of bugs in apache still because uh, i mean no, prior no. to this one there was a directory traversal um, by removing the the slash in the like the initial slash after the host name, um, yeah, in Nginx it was patched a while ago, and I mean yeah. these are kind of bugs that you'd think you know would be found by now, but and I mean in Apache it's obviously battle hardened, it's you know it's battle tested, but um, unfortunately it's got the downsides of being Apache. Um, so yeah. I'm just wondering, like, is is Nginx? Do they need to pick the game up on the security? Does it need more auditing? Or I don't know. I definitely think that web servers don't get too much auditing, so they could never get too much. Definitely important people who are listening to um, go and hit those things because you find a lot of stuff, especially in modules. That's where a lot of what you see is just in random modules that is loaded that people don't really care about that much, but they're just there. Um, yeah. And so. That's where a lot of stuff that I've seen, at least for Apache, um, the bones come from just random, like mod, like whatever. And um, yeah, so go hit those. Buzz them just out. One, one other thing to add if you're like super into that kind of stuff, um, there's 
absolutely companies that will hire you to just uh, go through repos on GitHub and whatnot to find cool stuff like this. Uh, you know, ZDI being one of them. There's there's plenty of them though. Um, so check it out. Yeah, so. definitely reading reading gits that uh, git git diffs that are very like nondescript. Oh, I love this. Well, like they just contain a test case, and you're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. A lot of them are actually entitled "fix licensing" or or uh-huh. remove remove credentials. So, like, you don't even have to search that deeply on some of these uh, projects because they they just they're not security mindset folk. They're not paranoid, so they're not thinking that oh, some bad guy could be actually looking through this. I think um, a lot of and having gone and done a few talks recently at like DevOps cons about um, CVEs and stuff like that. A lot of devs and DevOps people don't really know that like issues that live on GitHub are like a thing that people look at. And they um, were widely pretty surprised by this when I talked about it. And so like, it's, you know, people that they sit there and people know they sit there. Nobody knows that that's a thing that people look for. Yeah. yeah, I think if you look at uh, projects like OpenSSL, for example, like if there's a bug in OpenSSL, um, you're not going to see that git pushed, uh, sorry, that commit or that branch pushed anywhere until after the disclosure as well, um, which is so that, you know, teams uh, that are aware that people are watching their, their repos aren't just pushing everything up, whereas teams that are like, you know, um, usually pretty small, pretty move, like agile, move fast kind of deal. They're just like pushing to Git all the time just to make sure they're just keeping momentum and dealing with the issues. Whereas like, you know, having bug trackers that are private f- specifically for security tasks is um, can be pretty paramount depending on what you're doing. Just out of curiosity, and this is something I'm not super familiar with. Is, so that's something they can withhold is um, some of the diffs and file yeah. updates. Well, so um, an example, like with OpenSSL, uh, one of the bugs, um, I guess, um, like so during the embargo period, it, it's spread between the vendors that uh, need to know. Um, so the vendors sort of all get together uh, and decide on, you know, like at some point there's a date set by someone that says, you know, on I don't know, the, the 5th of June, we're going to release... Uh, this group of CV, CVEs that have been assigned, they've already been assigned by MITRE or by whatever CNA, um, and the, the bugs are actively being worked on, but none of the tickets are public or anything like that. Um, and so by the time you actually see the CVE being released by the, and you see the actual uh, security advisory, that is the time when the patch is available. So right. you can't, you know, like if everybody's updating as soon as possible, um, there should be very a very very small window between the advisory and actually being patched. When it so, goes well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, as long as you know, like DevOps guys are like you know actually patching stuff <laughs> um, with you know a, a schedule, and also the, the other thing as well is um, sometimes platforms like for example like Kubernetes, um, and you'll you'll obviously know it touching it could be dead, like could be deadly, you know, uh, like upgrading it might be a problem. Um, 
So you, you get the whole thing where it's like, well, do we patch? And then it's up to the security guys to sort of say, hey, this is a really important patch. And it came out five minutes ago. Um, we need this pushed as soon as possible. Please make sure it works. You know, And it's that sort of DevSecOps bond. Yeah, man. Um, one of the things I think that a lot of people don't consider as much as we've been kind of reiterating, but a lot of the bug bounty people that are in this room that do bug bounty stuff or do any sort of recon, um, Git is one of the best places to look, and it always will be. <laughs> You'll either know um, keys specifically or creds, there are definitely hints towards what you need to be looking at. Yeah, and uh, it's not. It's often in just random contractors or interns' uh, personal stuff too. So it's not even something that like a lot of companies necessarily have a lot of uh, insight into or like visibility into a lot of the time. Because sometimes it's not even in their own, uh, you know, repositories. Mm -hmm. no, yeah, absolutely. Let's not forget as well that like one of the the biggest things that I think um, people forget about repos in general is that it's a clone. It's an entire clone of the history, every change it's ever made. Yeah, okay, you, you've removed the key now, but the key's in the Git history, you know, and when it's cloned, like, as it goes part through, like, CI, CD chains, um, at some point that repository is going to live cloned, like, on a Jenkins build so like server or Bamboo or whatever you're using, um, BuildBot. And then at some point, in some cases, you know, you end up with, like, the, the .git directory uh, included as an artifact because it hasn't been, you know, whitelisted or blacklisted or however the, the task is set up. Um, and if that Git repository can be accessed through things like, you know, LFIs or or whatever, you know, through like XXEs and, and stuff like that, uh, recovering that Git repo means recovering that history, means recovering those keys that you were thought that you removed. So like really good um, repository hygiene like all the way from the developer to deployment is like really important. Yes, it is. And with that, we should um, take a little break here. Uh, it's halfway through the show. And we have a couple more stories we could cover. I definitely want to talk about the RKT thing, um, the unpatched and will not be patched CVs. Um, so yeah, let's take a little break and maybe take five minutes or so and we'll be back. All right, let's just get back into the last couple of stories, I guess. Um, that we have here, and we'll talk about Huawei too, which will be really interesting. Cool. Um, so, yeah, this one here, which Ian so politely described as things that only me and you care about, <laughs> it's KT <laughs> or Rocket or Rex, um, has gotten wrecked here. There's been three new unpatched CVEs that are not going to be patched. Um, and so, Ian, do you want to tell us a little bit about what this uh, technology actually is? Uh, RKT, um, which I think it's supposed to be pronounced Rocket, although I've always pronounced it Rect, is a container runtime solution put out by Red Hat that was supposed to be an alternative to Docker um, that they were putting out as like trying to, you know, have their corner of the market. Um, they just announced that it is not going to be a project that they're going to maintain anymore. Um, I think that they were ha trying to have it be the back end of Kubernetes. And at KubeCon, it was just announced that the successor to Docker is going to be CRIO instead, um, at which point Red Hat was like, mm, nah, and uh, announced that they weren't going to be maintaining RKT anymore. Uh, so now I think the Cloud Native Computing Foundation is going to be archiving it. And for our purposes, um, for this new segment, uh, 
they're also not going to be patching the CVEs that just got put out either. So there's that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really know how widespread the usage of RKT is, Rocket is. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to see something just get kind of abandoned like this, especially after something like this coming out. So the vulnerabilities that are in this are actually pretty funny. Um, so somebody did a really awesome write-up, which is in our show notes here, posted in the stream chat as well. But it's basically just, you just use the same thing as you use a Docker run or any of the other sort of commands, just run a command within a, uh, within a, a pod. Um, you can just run a binary and it just runs as root from, from the host. So you can just get root inside the container. And yeah, the three CVEs that are a part of it are all related to this. And so... So the abandonment of the project, sorry, just to interrupt. So is there no, because uh, usually they have like a phase that is like the, you know, this project is EOL, but if there's like a high severity, like mad critical bug, you know, it'll it'll get like a one-time patch kind of deal. There's like none of that? I guess not. It seems like they're over it. Yeah. Like they're just like, no, we're just not going to. Damn. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see, like, I mean, if you are somebody who, I mean, same thing as something like, I don't know, like HD DVD or something. If you're just on the shit end of like the the losing dominating or the technology that is not dominating the market and it slowly gets phased out, it just kind of screws you over. Because I mean, yeah. I think there's like one or two companies that built an entire empire on top of this technology. They're just like, well, well I guess we're screwed. It was CoreOS's product. Um, and then Red Hat acquired CoreOS, and um, I think it was a like, you know, they were hoping CoreOS was like really trying to like hang their hat on this as being the Docker alternative. And as I understand it, the great containerization split of 2015 uh, came down to between Docker and RKT. Um, and uh, this was a long time ago. Red Hat got CoreOS, RKT wasn't really going anywhere. And I think they're just like, this isn't even our product. Like, screw it. Especially because CRIO is like the thing that is going to overtake that now. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, who actually uses this tech at all? Who what? Does anyone actually use RKT at all? Yeah. I think that it has been used, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how widely, you know, not lately. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, so early versions of, OpenShift, I suppose, like the public OpenShift, I suppose, like Red Hat usually back their own products? Well, Red Hat, I mean, Red Hat didn't make this product. This was a CoreOS product and Red Hat bought CoreOS. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's a big mashup. And I guess IBM bought them now. So got those execs with the hammers and whatnot. Yeah. The scissors, maybe. <laughs> I mean, so one of the things is it's not been heavily adopted by things like critical infrastructure, things, it, it's more newer technology and, and kind of startups uh, more often than well-established stuff, I guess I think is the best way to put it. important to understand how patchworky the cloud native ecosystem is you know like there's a lot of stuff there there's a lot of different container runtimes that like i'm not gonna say nobody uses them but like you know there's a lot of products that are fairly niche that maybe are not widely in use <laughs> and um i think that rkt was like one of the things if you've ever seen the like c and 
CF roadmap, it is just like, you have to zoom way out in order to like be able to get it to fit it on a screen. It's a lot of like tiny, tiny logos full of things that people haven't heard of, mm-hmm. you know, and you could make any number of arguments about why that's the case, but, but it is. So, um, I think that that was one of those sort of like logos on the map that maybe just didn't really make it onto a bigger map necessarily. Ultimately. I think it's interesting. It, like it still definitely is a, a realm that a lot of us probably aren't so familiar with. Uh, I'm speaking purely for myself at the moment, but I, I can guess a lot of people probably aren't super up to speed on it and it's, it's worth looking into, you know? Oh, it totally is. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of stuff there. And then there's a lot of stuff there that like is really interesting. If you are somebody who, for example, you know, is interested in being at the forefront of researching stuff that like is starting to come out, especially stuff that is maintained by people who will like let security issues sit in their GitHub for months and months and months, you know, Oy. and then uh, publish <laughs> Yeah, publish. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, I think as well, like when you look at, uh, for example, like hypervisors um, in comparison, I f- like my opinion is, is like the maturity of the hypervisor, like I trust it a lot more. Um, but it doesn't, like it, it's it's sort of like if you t- if you jump back in time and look at the bugs that were coming out for hypervisors you know, for breakouts then, that's sort of what we're seeing now in container land. And it's just going to take maturity until, you know, they'll be neck and neck and um, in like security wise, obviously. But I think that the orchestration factor um, of containers just makes it, you know, it's a whole different game. Yeah. Yeah, I can argue that. Um, Lots of moving parts. Yeah. Lots of moving parts. I see a kitty in the background. Um, we got some some smart people on here, right? And uh, one thing I haven't really understood myself. I, I've seen the news articles about it. Honestly, when when Intel architecture, CPU architecture stuff comes out, it's uh, it's kind of Greek to me. Like I I I know enough about it to know it's semi serious, but zombie load. Uh, I think that that came off while we were on break. Um, anybody got some, some, Oh, you mean the MDS series of bugs? The new uh, speculation stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So is, uh, yeah. Any, uh, any explain it to me like I'm fives. Or is that just not possible (laughs) if you're five? I mean, (laughs) Yeah, are you the computer. familiar with how caching works? A little bit. Well, I, I mean, I, I could answer that, but it's more kind of just for everybody that's kind of listening, um, taking it from the ground up of assuming maybe they don't really know so much about how caching works and how speculation works. Well, um, uh, I guess one of the major things... If you think about um, the CPU is doing stuff out of the vision, well, it's supposed to be. It was intended to be out of the vision of your, like, you know, your operating system or anything that you have access to, um, and it's all about optimization. And unfortunately, it turns out that that's not out of the, you know, 
vision from uh, a process that, that you can control. So that's where this whole thing falls apart. And it falls apart all the way down uh, to hyper-threading. So when all this magic is going on in the background about guessing what instructions are happening, like what, what values are going to be used next and things like that, like through these uh, like the two separate tables that are sort of being, um, you know, matched against, um, you know, the, your two hyper-threaded cores, like, end up having access to, like, the same stuff. And the mitigation for this isn't software-based. It's, you know, disable hyper-threading. So if you think about your desktop computer and disabling hyper-threading, that mitigation isn't really going to do a great deal for you because you probably logged in as one user and you, you're doing all this stuff, you know. Um, yeah. Unless there's, like, some real specific attack against you, you don't really have to worry too much. But if you think about it in, like, a, a data center-type scenario where you've got multiple tenants, like, all sharing the same hardware, and now you, you, you've you got hyper-threading in the mix just because, like, that's the technology that's been since, like, the early 2000s, um, all of a sudden, these speculative problems are, like, popping up more and more. Yeah. Is there is there good resources to kind of check out for this stuff that um, that take uh, yeah, it from so the top? I really dug that website.com put out by that. Uh, let me find one. CPU.fail um, was like the catch-all website that came out this last time that had zombie load and the Rydal paper and the the other one that I'm spacing on right now and uh, and store to leak, which wasn't put anywhere else and they're all linked from that one. Oh yeah. yeah no, website, uh, the MDS attacks on the DNC just posted in the chat. I love that website with the way that it explained it. Cause the problem with a lot of this stuff is it's very difficult when you read the white paper to understand thing. Cause they're talking to the audience of people who are very understanding how CPUs actually work. And so like, even like being as obsessive about this kind of stuff as I am, I'm still like kind of baffled by some of this stuff. I'm like, I forget because it's like you look at you know building like logic you know, logic circuits and building you know like an ALU like very simply or like in the FPGAs it's like it makes sense but then you get to like some specific optimization and branching up it's like it's just so esoteric but it's it very it's interesting to know about it and it's interesting to see how it's actually exploited in the real world because it's it's interesting to see how I guess you can communicate from whatever standpoint with these structures within the CPU um, as like a normal user, which is crazy to me. So um, there's, I've linked as well the, the Red Hat security vulnerability thingy page on it, um, like that advisory. It contains a few CVEs, but if you actually click into them, like there's YouTube videos um, where they do like a five-minute yeah. explanation of it, and then there's like a longer video where it's like a 15-minute explanation. Obviously, like, yeah, it's not the whole, it's not going to teach you how the internals of a CPU work, but it's going to teach you enough to understand, like, why these are problems and why they're difficult to solve. Um, And, you know, you can sort of then make your own assessment of, like, do I or do I not, um, you know, basically disable certain CPU. 
Yeah. Um, when I fell down this rabbit hole, I read the whole 672 page like Intel branch optimization architecture manual. And that mm -hmm. will actually, that will work. Um, I don't necessarily recommend it for bedtime reading, but it will work in terms okay. of understanding how this stuff works. Yeah. The Intel manual stuff is so dense. And even going through like the basic, basic, like the data sheet where like the instructions and architecture is described, it's like 5,000 pages. And then there's like supplements to that, which is what you're talking about, which is even more stuff to actually know. It's it's absurd. Big old nope. <laughs> but I mean, it's good though if you are interested in this stuff. Is there are people looking at this, but at the time, the same as a lot of other older experts, it looked at primarily by academia, and so we need more eyes on this kind of stuff. I, mean, I definitely take more of a look at this kind of thing myself. I'm just like uh, <laughs> so many things to, to learn. There's a lot of really interesting prior art on this. Um, like the NSA uh, put out a paper in 1995 um, where they first discovered covert channels in Intel CPU architecture. And it's like a super interesting paper where they're like, this is unexpected behavior for like architecture that is behaving as it's supposed to. And like, there's a, there's a whole like, um, like history of of stuff around this that's super interesting and mostly, as you said, didn't leave academia. And like that shit's cool. Like if you want to go down the rabbit hole, like it's there's a good rabbit hole to go down. Absolutely. I loved your thread when you too. put it out uh, when MDS stuff came out of all of the different relevant links to stuff because it, it's hard to keep track of, especially when a lot of stuff comes out at the same time. And you're like, yeah. what does this mean? It's yeah, it's especially. That pile in particular, like one of the papers didn't have a CVE attached, um, like a whole last paper. And just because Intel didn't put one there. And um, it's like, I don't know if there was more happening there than was easy to keep track of, even mm -hmm. for people who like pay attention to that stuff and read them. Absolutely. I think for, uh, I guess, majority of people, like this is really good stuff to know about. Um, as in from a defense perspective, it's really good stuff to know about from an attack perspective, but until, you know, it gets put into some, some, uh, framework or script or something, using it practically. And I'd like say a pen testing engagement is, is not, um, you're probably not going to be doing that very often, if at all, you know. Um, yeah. I do have a former coworker who has started using Spectre on pen test engagements. And if you're listening, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Whatever it's worth, somebody out there is doing that. Is it, is it a successful way of getting in? I asked him, I was like, is that practical for you? That yeah. seems very slow. And he was like, it is really slow, but it works on enterprise workstation really? works so for wow. whatever there is somebody doing that in the wild now that's good so what can you do to actually monitor for those types of things because i've basically been under operate operating on the impression of this is so sophisticated unless you're being targeted by someone who actually has that level of capability you're probably okay yep same here yeah Absolutely. maybe ignorantly but yeah that's yeah. what i've been operating under too because i mean i remember when meltdown hit and the graveyards like fuck i'm just gonna listen to you man like i'm just the guy who's looking at your dashboard and following your instructions like yeah 
I mean, I think that one of the biggest concerns about this kind of stuff is when things become practical and people don't have the ability to control on-premises hardware anymore because of everything being in the cloud. So it's like, that's the kind of stuff that freaks me out the most is when there is some sort of practical CPU attack that, you know, I mean, there's there's practical CPU attacks that can be used on Amazon servers now. I mean, and it, wherever your cloud server is now. Um, there's, you know, obviously smart people are trying to mitigate that sort of thing, but there have been ways that you can, you know, screw with the actual hardware that underlies where your stuff is running in the cloud. But when people are migrating their entire enterprise to the cloud, they just spent, you know, millions of dollars to do that. And then suddenly they're just like, oh, there's just some random person with a literal like free tier VPS. I mean, just exfiltrate data from like your private uh, servers um, on the same blade somewhere. Yeah, I remember IBM had a vulnerability with their bare metal servers where they weren't properly reimaging them after they gave them back to their when their clients were uh, done with the instance. Yeah, like a rootkit or something on it was just completely fucked for the next customer. Well, I mean, even still, you can DD, you know, your cloud disk somewhere else, just back it up to a DBS or whatever, and um, you know, sometimes find some interesting things uh, that are you can carve out with uh, autopsy or whatever other tool. I think was, that through uh, VPS. I've never actually done that before. I just assumed they were pretty clean. <laughs> yeah. It was uh <laughs> yeah, very confused. The cloud's just someone else's computer. Yeah. 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 Uh there was one person who was I think it might have been it was one of those attacks that like someone explained like their Mossack Fonseca or uh might have been the Phineas Fisher one. Someone like released like their methodology and whatnot, um, and they're talking about how um, like game hosting uh, servers like so. There's such a high rollover rate that uh, it's one of the things that they use to be kind mm-hmm. of immune to that sort of thing because um, it's not something that's looked at as uh, as much, and the amount of rollover on there is just insane. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, wow, I'm afraid to ask. So, um, like other bigger services, maybe, maybe ones that are sending shuttles into space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if people try DDing on those. <laughs> I would uh, suspect. I mean, I would. I would honestly. I'm not going to say to do it, but. Well, I think that's fair game. If it's your if it's your instance, why not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of different things that can like go wrong. I, mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's definitely a good idea to fuck with stuff, but then at the same time, I'm like a huge hypocrite if I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm interesting if legal. <laughs> but I mean, there's also but, like, like um, a lot of services. So like, I, I would advise against um, messing with you know like. Say, um, let's just say Amazon and Microsoft Cloud stuff, like without permission, because you know, yeah, you own your VPS, but you don't. You're renting the hardware, basically. You have an agreement with them, but um, in the case of uh, places like things you can find on low end box, like you can, like if anybody doesn't know, low end network and lowendbox.com to find sketchy hosting provider, like sketchy, like <laughs> some sketchy, okay, but you can contact the guy who owns the box and be like, Hey, do you mind if I, whatever. And, um, as long as you're not 
criming out, like then, you know, if the guy who owns the box physically says it's fine, then it's fine. And if yeah, you, I mean, uh, unless there's no logs, and then in which case there's no crime. Oh, no logs, no crime. <laughs> also, just for for uh, ed- educational purposes, Amazon is doing really interesting things with TPMs um, on their bare metal instances now. Uh, so uh, you'll run into those if That's you don't mess with any of those. Because <laughs> well, I know Google Google Cloud, you can allocate TPMs. Amazon, you can allocate TPMs now as well. On their brand new bare metal instances, yeah, you can. Yeah, sweet. Oh, those are uh, pretty expensive. There's, I know it's. I don't topic, think but... they're terribly cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have one, stuff, but yeah. <laughs> but if anybody would like to donate one, yeah, <laughs> yeah for whatever it's worth. Papa Bezos, if you're listening, you can bless us. Hey, Dollar VPN Club. <laughs> yeah, Dollar VPN Club. Needs a TPM, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely, though, it's it's tough because there's a lot of stuff that I've been curious about, stuff that I've played with. And it's um, it's tough because a lot of the times, if you, if you come at a cloud provider with a vulnerability... Like, say you can, like, ARP spoof, or say you can uh, break out of the container that, for some reason, they cherooted you to, or, like, they placed you in instead of actually giving you a properly provisioned PPS. It's tough to sometimes get that over to them, because they have to kind of reconsider their entire business model when they do that. <laughs> and so, it's like, oh, uh, shit, uh, you can, like, ARP spoof for a whole entire day. Yo, for the record, as somebody who works for a cloud provider, if any of you can do any of that, please come talk to me. Actually take that and understand that that's a good thing, rather than it's somebody being malicious and, oh, you're banned from using our services and you cannot tell anybody about this. Right. right. And, and I think that's that's exactly kind of the problem and the dilemma these days is sure uh we're getting like ian's giving us some good um some good guidance on on what to do if things are found on on services she's uh tied to but we don't know necessarily what the rest of these services are uh what their policies are and so there's been a few discussions that i've been in lately um and uh it, it it comes up a lot like just between friends and um the other day we we talked about disclosure versus full disclosure and all this other stuff yeah responsible disclosure is the the most happiest nicest thing you can do but at at the same time if you're full if you're white or if you're responsibly disclosing to an organization that could potentially be hostile you're putting yourself in a legal situation that uh, could potentially, for all of your goodwill, uh, put you in a bad place. And so, yeah, uh, yeah uh, it's sad, but more often than not, I just kind of default to full disclosure these days. Yeah, and and also full disclosure is not violent disclosure. Just, uh... Well, it can be. <laughs> it, could, it could be. I mean, if you're physically <laughs> weaponized and you already have a Metasploit module set up, it's kind of violent. Is that how or is that with the delineation between the uh, valid disclosure? I wish like you you uh you get the code, you print it out, and then you wrap it around your fist and you punch the <laughs> 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 
man. Get out uh, rootkit over here. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to find it now. We got we got um, some time together here. Are you? Did you just say you're looking for a root kit, and then you just picked up a bunch of papers that are actual root kit? That I had working on that I had like printed out on paper um, when I was going somewhere, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to take my computer. Wonderful. So, Love it. That's dedication, man. Root kit by hand, but literally with a pen. It's good stuff. Throw <laughs> uh, back to the Commodore days. <laughs> now you need to you need to write it in with like ink and a quill and bind it. <laughs> no, I use a fountain. Ah. Yeah. And deliver uh, it over avian carrier. Um <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, definitely throwbacks to when I was in you know, middle school writing uh, JavaScript and shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy stuff. Um do we have to do a, a live read for Dollar VPN Club? I mean they're significantly funding us. Yeah, um, so yeah, Dollar VPN Club is the VPN for everybody. It's uh, a dollar, I guess. They haven't really rolled out the, the public beta yet. There's a, a private beta right now, but some people are lucky enough to test. But it can they, they do anything. They, they have that antivirus solution. It's complimentary, and it's a real-time scanning solution that protects you from all possible infections. It's 100% effective. Uh, John McAfee approves it. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey bug identi- a tra- a Troy Hunt approved it too. <laughs> oh, well, that might be tentative. I'm, I'm not 100% on that, but I hear... Word on the street is... I, I might, word on the street. I might have gotten mixed up with, you know, but I think it might be true. I think it might be true too. I, I would, yeah. Anyway, the, the bug I, I detection think, uh, is par none. The best one, I think, the best service they offer is their uh, VPN protection amulet, which you can create um, with your own wire that they give you. They give you an Ethernet cable that you can wrap around a crystal, and it protects you from any bad things happening in your life. Um, it, can, you know, it can heal the sick. It can protect you from, you know, getting arrested. It's, it's, it's kind of a catch-all. For- so you can just pray the cyber away is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pray to Saint Dollar of VPN Club. Holy shit, my CFO is gonna fucking love these people. So yeah, I think so that we might have some Dollar VPN Club protection amulets at DefCon that we might be able to give away. Oh, fun! So watch out because you might you might have a uh, you might have a chance to score one of those and be protected from crime. You literally is an invisibility shield. It's everything. Um, yeah, it's like the secret except for it's uh, an amulet. <laughs> Dollar a month. So Oprah, by the way, did endorse Dollar Weekend Club as well as the secret. So, uh, testimonials on our so, site. Um, we don't have testimonials yet, but so yeah, speaking well, of, of sponsors, uh, Huawei. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> sponsors Dollar VPN Club. Who sponsors us? So yeah, Shadow Org that does it. Yeah. So Huawei, uh, I guess we should talk before the the show ends in uh, a short time. But uh, so the, they're not going to be using the Google uh, Google's Android platform anymore, uh, which is separate from the Android Open Source project, which is obviously open source. Um, which is is pretty interesting because the price of their current phones uh, that are on the market that are not going to be affected by this seem to be dropping 
which is which is pretty funny, right? Uh, it, oh, there's so much insanity going around that company. Yeah, I, I don't even know yeah. where to to begin. So uh, I didn't even know. It. So they were on uh, Google uh, Android platform before this. Yeah, so it's just an Android device made by, like, you know, they're just standard handsets. Um, they're, they're pretty okay technology wise, but obviously they're made by an untrusted vendor, um, and sanctions are being put on them from using uh, specifically Google's source code. Um, but that doesn't include, like I said, the open source stuff. Um, yeah. And as well, sanctions against using, uh, I believe, ARM and x86 technologies, which is obviously pretty important in producing a piece of hardware. Um, so a lot of people have been speculating about it. But I, I think at the end of the day, what we're going to see is a similar case of where they were sanctioned to not sell equipment to Iran and they just found a loophole. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure. Like, so I they, mean, for example, they won't be able to ship from the, from the factory with the Google play store, for example, as a, as, as an, ex, like a simple thing. Um, so then you think like, well, how does, how does the supply chain for Android work? And you, you start looking at the retailers installing their own apps or like wholesale to telco. And then the telco installs like their own sort of ROM anyway. Like, and then all of a sudden, you know, now it's like, okay, well, we'll sell you a bunch of wholesale phones that don't have, you know, a very good um, firmware image at all. But by the way, you can build your own because you're not sanctioned. I definitely think that there's like a lot of hype over this that um, is just going to be so loopholed around. Yeah, it feels like it's one of those things could be easily hand-waved away by any number of things. Yeah. Uh, much like a uh, an exploit with a name and a logo, a little bit overhyped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely a big deal that they're, that uh, the U.S. Have, have been pushing for this. I mean, I guess Trump Arena was pushing for it. Um you know, to, to stop China from, from doing whatever. But at the same time, if you think about how many major electronics companies are produced in Southeast Asia, like have their, have their hardware produced in Southeast Asia, like specifically China, like they, uh, I think it was, uh, it was Bunny's blog where he, where Bunny went ahead and, and decapped a bunch of like SD cards and was telling, like showing the difference between like two branded SD cards, um, made from the same factory, one of them's legit and one of them is not because they're performing, you know, midnight runs. Uh, so the factory closes, they've, they've done their run for, you know, SanDisk or Kingston or whoever. And then they've gone ahead and done another run for themselves, packaged them up and, and sold them uh, outside of their contract. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that, if that kind of stuff is happening, you know, with uh, certain types of ICs, then why can't it, it you know, why can't that build up into the scale where they're sort of producing like knockoff CPUs or something like that? Like I, you know, one thing I found interesting about this stuff is has anybody actually shown, I'm sure there's been a few, but there's, there's been a few backdoors that have been found in Cisco and Linksys and all over the place. Right. Have there been any recent, uh, signs of, Backdoors or bug doors in Huawei products, or is this all just kind uh, of 
There, I mean, there has been like, for example, there's two sort of main arms that you got to look at. One of them is the consumer market devices, which is the handsets yeah. that are going out to people. So that's what they're talking about running Android. Um, and then the other arm is is the network equipment, which is you know where the whole like, selling out to Iran thing came in, and the CFO being arrested, all that kind of deal. So um, I'm not aware of any specific bugs in um, their network hardware, but also I'm not, I haven't been, you know, I'm not privy to that. And I think if if the CIA or like Five Eyes or whoever who are, sa- are saying, yeah. you know, we know that you are doing, you have sketchy stuff on there, they're not, you know, there's, there's going to be some sort of motivation for that other than they just don't want to deal with China. Um, yeah, I, I mean... Any obligation to release those details, even if they did, right? Yeah. So but it also seems like um, an interesting area to explore if if the allegations are true or even half true, right? Then so one like would one think. Plus. So What's that? One Plus is another uh, Chinese phone manufacturer that is, I believe, they're affiliated with Huawei. I don't know to what extent. But like the OnePlus um, OS was phoning home and exfiltrating certain data back to China um, at some point. So there have been handset bugs and whether they're intentionally phoning home or not. I mean, we see the same thing on on iOS apps as well. Um, But this is, you know, at the OS level, like the stuff that's coming out, not the app level. So Yeah, it's crazy that like they, they definitely target dissidents and uh like citizens or citizens that are critical of them it's not always like about bulk data collection like the uh like our like our boys yeah well that's one of the things about the um devices is that uh sorry the network devices is is that they were saying things at the time like hey you know we'll give you the schematic we'll give you the sort like things to inspect to show you there's no backdoor but just because the one that they inspect has no backdoor or has no you know their schematic is clean like that that looks yeah. fine why does the serial number say us jackass zero one on it that's a weird yeah, serial. at the same time then we had the i was i guess it was the cia i think were intercepting um usps and packages Juniper. that were containing yeah juniper and cisco yeah. implants all that sort of stuff so why not china why not um siemens or ericsson or any of these other countries like european based countries as well i mean it's all trust right yeah yeah that's the uh that's the problem <laughs> but eh. I'm sure that if there is some some interesting stuff in like any of these Huawei products, that it seems like something that a lot of researchers would be getting into right now, just because of the, you know, uh, currently high profile nature of the thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, there was this this uh, a guy posted on Twitter um, this week where he has a, a Huawei home CPE device, so a four G modem or something, and he's like, I'm going to disassemble this and. Um, Prove there's no backdoor. I've been using it. For, I've never noticed any any traffic. And uh, Slabby Gibbons, um, who obviously does a lot of hardware work, he responded with like, "Well, what does pulling it apart prove?" Um, and then it was kind of the case, like you know, 
I jumped in the thread as well. Like, even if you do pull it apart, what do you expect to find? Like, there's not going to be like a little chip labeled extra modem. Um, and even so, like, <laughs> you don't need a specific emitter, like, to have transmissions from a device. Like, we've seen, you know, we've mentioned on the show before System Bus Radio, where uh, MacBook Airs were playing Mary Had a Little Lamb, not using any transmitting components at all. Um, and, like, that's on GitHub. You can check it out. Uh, as a practical example of, of um, emissions being used for XFL, so but when people actually hack I2C buses and make them actually sing and dance like that, it's always fun. Yeah, it's super super interesting, and those people are dedicated and smart. That's all I can say. So hold on, how long until we get uh, some chips uh, with screen printing on it that says like backdoor? Backdoor chip. Do not touch. Yeah. <laughs> Secret modem. I kind of wonder how Secret, much the, uh, the, the core routers and stuff are that, that everybody's all up in arms about. Like is it is it tens of thousands or I reached it, out to their sales team through fake uh fake account information and they never got back to me, unfortunately. Oh I believe the high end stuff, like the really high uh bandwidth like um like core routers and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. you know, six figure deals. You don't yeah, buy one, money buy a bunch. I, I kind of wonder if there's maybe some wholesalers though that uh, that bought a bunch of gear uh, in expectation of five G just going without a hitch, and now they're like, oh, well, <laughs> I guess, guess this is worth nothing. And I guess we should uh, donate these to Dollar VPN Club. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, they're yeah, they're getting everything here. Yeah, um, if you do have uh, some some core network equipment that uh, you're trying to trying to offload, let us know and we'll find a home for it. Absolutely. And if yeah. you if you need it back, um, we can provide a a non-binding agreement that it'll be working. Yeah, just don't <laughs> when you get don't dump the firmware. Don't don't keep a checksum, please. Just right, for, right. Yeah. So, uh, the, the last thing I'll say, and we'll segue us into our saying goodbye because it's almost time to go, is look out, uh, I guess, soon, but BitFi is going to come on our show um, soon. And we're going to just hear what they have to say about no. uh, being unhackable. And I'm very excited for it. No laughs. This is a good. This is a good thing. We're. I'm excited to hear because it's going to talk to engineers, and we're going to just have a, a conversation about what it means. So, tune in uh, in the next week. Maybe next week. Maybe the week after. We have to still schedule it, but they're going to come on live and talk with us about. Uh, well, it's heart. going to be live. So yeah, it's going to be live, and um, yeah. So we're just going to hear hear them and talk to them. So. People who have had their doubts about whether or not you can take something apart and tell it's backdoorable, whether it's hackable, anybody you can run Doom, that things are, or you can side channel the pin input. Yeah, there's a lot of different things to discover to talk about. So we'll actually be able to answer your questions live um, and we'll be able to relay them to the BitFi staff live. So if you, we will put out the announcement officially. Um, I want to throw this in at the end, but we'll put in an official announcement. Um, once we can schedule, but they are on board for coming on and chatting with us about unhackable hardware. So I'm excited. 
Cool. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to mention before we do the goodbyes is uh, I do have um, a large amount of laptop vinyl stickers that um, need to go out. So hopefully we'll be announcing how you can get your hands on one of those also. Absolutely. So yeah, we, so this, thank you everybody for listening to our, our premiere of season two. We are rolling out a bunch of new ways to do the actual show, um, making it a lot more smooth and making it a lot easier for us to do a lot of cool content. So we have a bunch of guests. Um, you can check thugcard.com for our current list of guests that are coming on um, over the next few months. Um, we're slowly putting some more on there because we're recording some pre-recorded stuff as well as getting together some written segments that we're going to throw in here as well. So just keep watching. And if you want to get involved, we have uh, our challenge, which <laughs> I don't have the, the tweet already, but it's a challenge to get into our app. Yeah, I put it in the chat a few times. Okay, cool. I'm going to throw it in there again one more time. It'd be awesome. Um, we have this mm-hmm. chat challenge. Um, if you also want to get involved um, without necessarily being a part of the shitposting uh, Matrix community here, uh, you can totally just DM us and we can work on stuff together. We have a lot of cool projects that we're rolling out that we haven't even discussed yet. So um, it's going to be an awesome summer. And yeah. I'm excited for season two. If you guys are uh, good at CTFs, want to contribute to CTFs too, we're always looking to expand that. Absolutely, yeah. We have a couple of cool CTFs coming out. We got the IoT CTF, which we're still working on as well, organizing. It's going to be awesome. It's going to see who can create the biggest botnet. Uh, it's going to be a content. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be sick. There's um, some limits. Yeah. Love it. Thanks to everybody for, for watching here. Um, and yeah. Oh, donating Bitcoin. Yeah, we're going to also have a Bitcoin donation step as well. Thanks to all our patrons for even supporting us from even on the air. Um, we love you guys. Uh, we're going to put out some more options to donate money as well. Um, but yeah, we will be rolling everything out. So tune in next week. And we'll see what happens. Might be a bit fine, hopefully. But yeah. in any case, thanks for watching, everybody. And I guess that's, uh, that's it. Does anybody have anything to say? Thank I'd just like to thank the Dollar VPN Club once more for the excellent sponsorship. <laughs> I'll uh I'll just do my shut the fuck up and get a lawyer. Shut the fuck up, get a lawyer. Shut up, yeah. Everyone shut up. Okay. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.